Hey everyone, it's Ron Johnson, and this is the Locked On Sports Minnesota Podcast Network's Roundtable. Yep, you got it. It's Friday. It's time for the Ryan to Roundtable. But guess what? We're going to make some uh, bold predictions about this Bills-Vikings game. No Luke Brown, so don't worry, people. We're not worried about Kirk Cousins making throws in the red zone. But today, we're going to talk about Justin Jefferson, Stefan Diggs. What's the bold prediction there? Stay tuned for that. Locked On Sports Minnesota Podcasts. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. And it starts now. Good morning, everyone. Yes, I am your host, Ron Johnson. This is the Locked On Sports Minnesota Roundtable. We got Sam Ekstrom. We got Reggie Wilson from CARE 11. And we have Luke Inman, one of the most interesting men in the world. We got Case Keenum versus Kirk Cousins. We got Stefan Diggs versus Justin Jefferson. So it's a loaded show, people. We got to talk about Timberwolves, too, because the Timberwolves are headed to where the Lakers are, and that's no man's land. But as we jump out, first topic, fellas, uh, this game, like I said, if you listen to me and you went to betonline.net and you put your money on the Vikings early in the week, <laughs> you're going to get paid off. So feel free to tip your uh, your, your, your sharp uh, when you get a chance because I, I took care of you guys. But if you wait it, you might be playing with, 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 with fire right now because it's a little too close to call. But when they were given that nine points early and then that seven and a half, you should have bet Vikings to cover. That was easy. Now, eh. Who knows what you're going to get out of this one, but make sure you check that out on betonline.net. But I'm going to start with you, Sam. Vikings, Bills, what's your bold prediction of the week? All right. I am locked in on this run game this week because last week the run game really did nothing for Minnesota at Washington. They mm -hmm. have no choice but to run the ball well against the Buffalo Bills. This is a time of possession battle because if the Vikings get into a back and forth up and down the field kind of struggle with the Bills. They're going to lose. I don't care who their quarterback is. I still think the Buffalo offense is above average with Case Keenum at the helm. They need to run the ball. They need to control the clock. The Vikings are 28th in average time of drive this season. They've got to hold on to the ball much more effectively than they have been. That means running the football. I think they put a sixth lineman out there, try to combat this sixth-ranked Buffalo run defense, and I think they just pound it with Dalvin Cook. Conditions might not be great weather-wise. I think they're going to rush it 25 or more times. I think Dalvin gets a season high in carries, goes for 175 and two mm. touchdowns, and they lean on Blake Brandle as a sixth lineman in the game. Mm. What do you think of that? Mm. Mm. That's, that's pretty bold. You, you jumped out there. Let's go, with, uh, let's go with you next, Luke. <clears throat> Yeah, Ron, I'll give you three. I'll make them quick. One offense, defense, special teams. Offensively, TJ Hawkinson is going to show us what he can do with a full week of preparation. He's going to have a Travis Kels-type performance, double-digit catches, triple-digit yardage, and finds the end zone for his first TD in purple. Kirk's going to have a tough time against this Bill's secondary, really good cornerbacks. He's going to start to grow an obsession with this new security blanket. Defensively, Caleb Evans does it again. Balls out, holds his own against Diggs and Gabe Davis. Multiple PBUs. Another tackle for loss. This guy was outstanding tackling out on the boundary. And his first career interception. Uh, he's going to show everybody why Quasey did move up in the fourth round. Lastly, last time the Vikings played an AFC opponent outdoor on the roads in snowy conditions, 2013 versus the Ravens. Maybe the wildest 
final two minutes of the game we've ever seen in Vikings history. In that final two minutes, 77-yard kickoff return. I think Vikings, who don't have a special teams touchdown this year, I think you see it happen Sunday, whether it's Kenny Nwangu or Jalen Rager. I think they scored the first special teams touchdown of the year this Sunday in Buffalo. Hmm. Okay. Reggie, hey. what you got? Good Lord, it's hard to uh, come behind all of that. You know, my I don't think my bold predictions are maybe that bold. <laughs> but I think I'm going, like, fully counter to Sam. For some reason, I get a feeling like this game might get out of hand and it might get out of hand for the away team. I don't know why I get that, that feeling, but I think Kirk Cousins may see his first 300-plus yard passing performance of the season, three-plus touchdowns on Sunday. And I think, actually, what's going to be interesting is Justin Jefferson, you know, going into Buffalo, into Diggs' new house now. I think he's going to outperform Stephon Diggs because maybe the Bills are going to be pressing a little bit. You know, Case said that it's just a game because, you know, He's played a lot of his former teams because he has a lot of former teams. But, you know, playing Minnesota just means a little bit differently for him because he got some history here. They made some they made some magic here with the Minneapolis Miracle, him and Diggs. And so I think we'll see Kirk outduel Case. Hmm. I like that. I was going to go Kirk on like a big game, 350 yards. Uh, I like the Justin Jefferson, Stephon Diggs. I think Justin Jefferson and Stephon Diggs both go for over 125 yards. I'm going to go with mm. TJ Hawkinson. I think this is going to be a 10 catch TJ Hawkinson day with a touchdown or two. Like, I think this is going to be a team that now learns that, you know what? They're paying attention to Justin Jefferson in the red zone way too much. You got to go to Justin Jefferson. I don't care how many times you just keep going to him when he has man coverage. But I think Kevin O'Connell, this, this gave him extra an entire week to prepare on how to get TJ Hawkinson the ball. Uh, Iowa grad, tight end you. Uh, you look at George Kittle and all these other tight ends that have come out of there. You have now a guy that can block and catch, big body, big frame. Uh, he fits the mold. I'm going to go TJ Hawkinson, 10 catches, a touchdown or two in this game versus the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I, I just feel like it, this is a team that's going to try to take away your best option. We know Leslie Frazier loves to do that, just like Bill Belichick. Take away their best option. The best option is Justin Jefferson. So here comes TJ Hawkinson. Uh, here's another one. A what-if question. And I know my answer. It's going to be brash. It's going to be probably a little bit ignorant, maybe. But what if the Vikings had re-signed Case Keenum instead of Kirk Cousins in 2018? Let's go in reverse. Start with you, Reggie. I think they would have some problems. But I also think they probably have the young quarterback of the future right now. We've seen Case kind of bounce around to different teams since he left Minnesota hasn't really worked out because he is a, a solid quarterback, but he's in a role that I think suits him at this point in his career. He's a backup. He's been long been a backup. I remember back in St. Louis when he was battling Nick Foles for the, the starting job there. They were kind of playing musical chairs. Like I think that the Vikings would probably have found a new solution to quarterback, and it probably would have been via the draft because I don't know if Case would have worked out here long term. So I think they made the right decision letting him go and keeping and signing Kirk. Mm. So you said that they would have had the quarterback of the future. So you're saying that they would have like been so bad they would have had an early pick or what what, what is that about Case Keenum can't yeah. win games? Yeah. yeah I, don't, no. I mean they would have they would have been okay, but I don't know if the, if they would have been, you know, top tier. They probably would have had some some growing pains. I like that. I like that. All right, Luke, what you got? 
No, I'm kind of with Reggie. You know, that defense that year, top 10 in points allowed, top five in yards allowed. So in typical Zim fashion, they probably still win a, a handful of games because of the defense. Instead of 8-7-1, and one, they probably go 6-10. and 10. That means the following draft, the Keenum experiment's over. They're picking in the top 10. Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, they're off the board. So desperate for a quarterback, what do they do? They pull another massive reach, a la Christian Ponder, and they draft 12th overall, Drew Locke, quarterback out of Missouri. Oh, no. Another horrible season, another horrible offseason. That leads to Zimmer and Spielman being fired the next season. Zimmer blames the rookie quarterback, says he wanted a veteran. The only good news there is that they would be in another top 10 situation to maybe draft, to Reggie's point, a Justin Herbert or a Tua Tagaloa. Flip side of that, though, you draft one of those guys, you don't end up with Justin Jefferson at 22. So I think that whole thing crumbles the next few years if Spielman doesn't go out and get Kirk Cousins, despite Zimmer kind of chirping in his ear saying, that's a bad idea, I don't want that. So scary to think about knowing there was a lot of people who said rolling with Keenum was the right move after that kind of 13-3 and magical run they had. Mm. Sam, what you got? Yeah, Luke really copied what I was going to say there because I think <laughs> 2018 probably goes badly for the Vikings. Assuming that they signed Keenum to the same two-year deal that Denver did, then Keenum goes into his final year. The Vikings draft a quarterback, like Luke said, might have been Dwayne Haskins. That was the other mm -hmm. quarterback that went in the first round that year. Um, and, and really between Locke, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, there aren't a lot of quarterbacks that you can say, oh, wow, Vikings could have really uh, hit the jackpot. So I think it would have set their franchise back several years. I think Zimmer and Spielman probably get fired two years earlier because after 2019, the leash is probably up. Remember that the Vikings needed to win a playoff game in 2019 for those guys to retain their jobs. And uh, I don't think they do that if they sign Keenum and then draft maybe a rookie in 2019. Um, but you know what? Just looking only at 2018, not looking at the future, not looking at the domino effect, Kirk Cousins was not very good in 2018. Kirk Cousins threw the Vikings out of some games, pick sixes, untimely sacks. The Vikings only went 8-7-1. and one. You know, if you bring Keenum back into that offense just for that one year with the chemistry that he had built up with Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen and everybody – I'm not sure the Vikings are that much worse in 2018. And remember, they only needed to win one extra game to make the playoffs. So I think there is a world where they actually do a little better in 2018 with Keenum. But I think the book is out on Keenum. He's an average backup quarterback. 2017 was an anomaly. Yeah, this is where I'm going to go with mine. Um, what if they had signed Case Keenum? Uh, I think that if they had signed Case Keenum, we wouldn't be looking at Kirk Cousins with his shirt off right now. Um, Kirk Cousins would have probably ended up a Jet. Um, I don't think the Vikings would have been looking to, to sign a, a big-time veteran like that at that time. Uh, they would have moved on and felt like, all right, we got our guy. Um, from a draft standpoint, I just don't know um, – if they would have taken that leap. Like, I, I feel like this was a team predicated on defense, predicated on I can trust my quarterback to not screw up. Let me have my – because Zimmer had a top five defense back then. Um, and and so I think it would have been a defensive-minded thing to team still. I think they would eventually had to blow it up with Case Keenum on the team. And you set the team back, you know, I don't know how many years, three, four years until you can find a quarterback. Um, maybe a team that turns around and tries to sign Matt Ryan, you know, who knows? Like there, there, there's so much that could have went into that with Case Keenum, uh, probably a running team. Dalvin cook probably could be like, you know, a, a top rushing leader every year. And the Vikings trying to find ways to get into the playoffs. 
But yeah, I don't I don't think they would have competed every single week, but you never know. Um, next one, like I said, the Timberwolves, they're not good. They're 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 not good. Um, and before we jump into this Timberwolves conversation, Sam, I think we have a word from our sponsors. Well, thank you, Ron. I appreciate that. Um, you know, the, the word from the sponsors can wait a second because I've got something important to talk about. You guys gave me a lot of flack last week for not having seen Love Don't Cost a Thing. <laughs> so I watched it and I've got no a complete way. review. Um, out of five stars, I give the plot a two. I can't Dang. tell you how many movies I've seen where nerds are working on a science experiment and one of the nerds becomes cool and abandons his <laughs> friends. However, I do give it credit for being a little ahead of its time because, like, it it was that movie came before Twenty One. It came before Social Network. Those are other movies of that of that type. Um, acting one and a half out of five. No way that any of those kids were <laughs> oh actually God. in high school. But Steve Harvey does salvage it. Steve Harvey as the overeager father is by far the best bit in the film. Um, cinematography. Four out of five. I thought there were some really cool shots, wow. like where they're filming the science room, like through the microwave. They've got the overhead looks of the city. Uh, that was pretty good. <laughs> I thought it was creatively shot. What aged best? Keenan Thompson. The guy does not change. I watch every SNL. He has not changed in 20 years. Uh, <laughs> is cameo. Stuart Scott. Man, I love seeing him on SportsCenter. Best montage. Air Force One by Nelly when he's becoming cool. He's getting the makeover fantastic um ultimately oh and by the way foreshadowing on the guy running into the crowd and like beating up fans totally pulling a ron artest final verdict <laughs> two out of five stars um i couldn't watch nick cannon it was way too cringy when he's trying to be cool i had to turn away it was it was brutal um so you know i enjoyed pieces of it I can see why it's a why it's a hit, kind of a cult classic. Maybe I'm too old. Maybe I'm too old to enjoy it at this point. But I did give it a try, it was and a... I just wanted you all to know that. that so we appreciate your effort, Sam. We appreciate wow. that. That was pre gigolo Nick Cannon, too. Wow. Good job, by the way, congrats to Nick Cannon job. welcoming his 12th job, child Sam. that that came out on Good Twitter Lord. yesterday. Good why stop yeah, him? He needs to what, see. That's the what, problem. What, see, Steve what, Harvey what? tried to show him how to use condoms, and he did not pay attention. Like clearly, he didn't, he didn't pay attention to Steve. Learn to repopulate yeah, the earth. So that was a documentary. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a bet online, by the way, with that betonline.net, your number one source for sports wagering info. Vikings favored by three and a half over Buffalo. That line just keeps sinking as Ron prognosticated. Uh, make sure to check that out and plenty more. NCAA football, NBA, MLB when it's in season, UFC, boxing and golf. It's betonline.net. It's where the game starts. Uh, I'm done with my movie review, and now it's time to talk sports again. What's the line at for BetOnline.net, Sam? Right Three now, and a half Marcus. favoring Buffalo. That's mm. what I said. Yeah. I said that on Monday. I said it's going to be three and a half. And look, here we are. Look at us. Look at us. Who would have thought? thought? And the Lakers—they're not doing well. Timberwolves aren't doing well either. Not really a free fall. Five and seven after twelve games. But Luke, I'm going to start with you. What do the Timberwolves need to do to get this thing fixed? Because for me, I'm a hooper. Like, I play basketball all the time. I understand spacing. I understand sometimes if you have a guy that's on a heater, you keep going to that guy and you spread the floor out. We saw Ja Morant do it. We've seen Steph Curry do it. The Timberwolves have to figure out who their guy is. I think I know who the guy is, but Luke, we'll start with you. 
you know, it's tough because on the court, it's not just one thing right now that you say, if we fix this, we're good. Last year, they were one of the better three-point shooting teams in the league. This year, they're one of the worst. Ant's not getting to the rim a lot because there's too much traffic in the paint, he says, when Rudy's on the court. D'Lo's just a mess. Mm -hmm. He isn't playing like a true pass-first point guard. Uh, they're in the bottom of the league in pick-and-roll production, even though they run the pick-and-roll. Uh, one of the more uh, teams in the league defensively. They're just getting slashed. Uh, Chris Finch has to go to a zone concept more, leading to more three-point shots being wide open. I really think, right now anyways, they miss a guy like Pat Bev, especially in that department. Uh, offensively, it's just a lot of poor ball movement. Guys are just standing around waiting for someone else to make a play. I can handle the growing pains as long as you're seeing some good movement on both sides of the ball, full effort every night. What I can't handle is guys, hands on their hips like we saw with Ant the other night, guys playing hero ball when things aren't going their way. And that all starts with the coaching. And Chris Finch certainly has his work cut out for him right now. But by no means do I think the season's over just because of a slow start. Many experts assumed they would start slow out the gate. And as bad as they mm -hmm. looked, they're still only five and seven. So I'm not counting this season a loss quite yet. What you got, Reggie? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I was playing uh, the soundbite from Anthony Edwards after the game yesterday in my sportscast. And it just like infuriated everybody in the studio because of like the smirk that he had. He was like, what are we now? Five and seven? Yeah, we're turning around. Don't worry about it. And I think it was just like, okay, <laughs> can we have a little bit more urgency here? Can we have a little bit more, you know, less cavalier attitude here? I think what they need to do, they need to, uh, Tim Connolly needs to make a call and call KG. KG needs Ooh. to come to practice and just start yapping at everybody, cussing them out on, in practice each and every day. Like, this is just unacceptable. They can't shoot. They can't uh, defend right now. Cat scored 11 points the other night. Ant's not, not doing much in terms of production, not getting much from D'Lo. Jaden McDaniels had a great game. But, like, when you're relying on him to be the, the top scorer for you, like, you got some problems. He's supposed to be a great complimentary piece. Yeah, this is where I'm going to go. Uh, we're going to change this up. We're going to go keep going in order. So I'm going to go next. Uh, this is what I say about the Timberwolves. And when I look at basketball, I'm a basketball guy. I play all the time. I, I love to go uh, run an open gym run. I'm going today. I'm going later today to play. So when I think about basketball, this is what I notice. And I love, I think uh, Luke said it about the lane being too clogged up. When you have too many bigs, if you can't get spacing with your bigs, you are going to create issues for those that like to slash. Even if you're not a shooter, like if you're not a great shooter and you're seven feet or you're six nine, you still need to spread the floor. If you are going to enter the lane, you enter the lane after the fact. So once Anthony Edwards starts driving, then Rudy Gobert can follow. They've got to work on some call plays where if Anthony Edwards is on the right side, Rudy Gobert and Cat are on the left, they have to figure out some backside. And, and, and if you want to see this poetry in motion, just watch the Warriors. Now, they don't have any bigs really truly in there because of how they play. But when Steph Curry is front side, back side, they still have motions and sets going on. Like, it is ridiculous. And why do they do that? Because those guys trust. So they have to figure out ways how to do that. They got to figure out ways how to work the backside, set some picks, crash late, and then let them dish it if they're overplaying you. And then you got to be able to hit free throw line and extension jumpers. Like, I think that's the key for those bigs. We know Cat can. Rudy's got to open up his shooting game. I don't know how, but he's got to figure it out. He ain't, he, Shaq couldn't do it, but Shaq also was a monster. Rudy's not a monster. What you got, Sam? 
I think you need to look at D'Angelo Russell as an absolute must trade. And in that trade, you, you need to acquire some glue guys. Right now, you have no glue guys. Jared Vanderbilt, mm-hmm. Malik Beasley, and Pat Bev are your glue guys, and you traded them for Gobert. Okay, so you got to go find new ones. Um, Kyle Anderson and Bryn Forbes aren't exactly delivering that for you right now. Um, I think that getting Russell out, I think that you get rid of someone who is very on ball. They, they need the ball in their hands a lot, and, and the Wolves need to be a little less sticky. They need to pass it more. They need to create those open looks. Um, and have that kind of chemistry they did on the offensive end last year. So I think D'Lo actually is someone you need to dish uh, from this team at the deadline. And then Ant just needs an attitude adjustment, right? Like it seems like this offseason kind of broke him a little bit. He took a lot of a lot of heat, a lot of criticism for the comments that he made off the court. I think that was all fair and valid. Um, but he seems like a totally different guy, disconnected. Uh, they need him back, and they need him to be assertive in the worst way. Well, next one up, we got the Gophers playing the Northwest. No, no. Uh, yeah, we do got Northwest and Wildcats. What am I talking about? Uh, just watched Nebraska film this morning, so I'm a little off. But we got the Gophers playing Northwestern. And when you think about this game, Ethan Kalik-Manis versus Tanner Morgan. And I think it's going to come down to, I think Tanner's injury is a concussion because in college you don't have to say it. You don't have to disclose it. But he took a big hit at the end of the half where they didn't even try to get a run another play. He kind of walked off the field gingerly. So if Ethan Kalik-Manis starts, we'll start with you, Sam. What do you hope to see from Ethan if he starts? Yeah, and I'm assuming he does. Um, and I think that they need to give him the keys for the rest of the season. I I, mm. I would love the, the concept of Tanner Morgan going out and ending his career with uh, winning the axe, winning the pig, winning a bowl game, like that would be really nice in the storybook. But PJ Fleck needs to think long-term about this program. And no better way than to get Callie Manis ready for next year than to give him the last four games. This, is, this has to be a confidence-builder game because the three after this are going to be Iowa, Wisconsin, and bowl game. Um, this is where you build up some equity against Northwestern, who hasn't won since they beat Nebraska in Ireland like back in August. Um, Callie Manis has thrown 45 passes so far in his spot duty this season, and he's completed 20. That's completion percentage of 44.4%. I want to see more accuracy. He's got one touchdown to three interceptions. Let's clean up the turnovers. Let's build some momentum going into the trophy games starting next week. That's what I want to see from Nathan. All right, what you got, Reggie? Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree with Sam. Look, much respect to Tanner Morgan and everything that he's done in the program and for the program. Great guy. But I think you know what's going to happen with him. You know what you're getting. This season, I wouldn't say it's a wash, like, but you're not playing for necessarily anything meaningful. And so it's like you might as well just get a head start on next season and put a guy in there that you really have a a high hope for. You know, P.J. Fleck is very complimentary in what he feels like Cali McManus, his future is going to be with the Gophers. And so I think put him in there, play in these big games against Iowa, against Wisconsin, you know, maybe get him some confidence built, like you said, Sam, in a game against Northwestern, a, a team that they should beat. Get him some confidence going, headed into next season, and maybe you start rolling and, and you can kind of get this thing going 
and and really reach the potential of this program that that you want to see, which is them competing for Big Ten, them competing for um, meaningful bowl games. What you got, Luke? Yeah, I, I think what you hope to see is just the flashes of why he was brought in so highly recruited in the first place, right? Four-star recruit, Gatorade player of the year you mentioned before the show coming from Illinois. I don't need him to go out and start 10 for 10 or put up a perfect passer rating as long as he flashes the physical tools that got him here in the first place. The dual threat ability, some off script splash plays with his feet, a few chunk plays downfield with his arm because all the other stuff, that's coachable and stuff you expect from anybody making their first start. But what I want to see is the stuff you can't coach, the raw physical tools you see and say, that's a guy that's going to go out there and make some plays for us on his own and give us just a little spark offensively we haven't had at the quarterback position in a long time. All the other stuff you can coach, we can teach him, but the physical tools, the athleticism, that's what you hope to see, at least glimpses of Saturday versus Northwestern. That alone, I think, win or lose, would give me a lot of optimism about the future and bring some excitement to the program, knowing we've got a guy who, if coached right, surrounded with a little talent, can help us score a lot more points in the future than just the game manager we've had in Tanner Morgan the last, what, six, seven years. Yeah, this is where I'll go with it. I watched the Nebraska game this morning, and there were some glaring issues. One, Nebraska, to start the first quarter, dominated the time of possession. It was like two minutes to like nine minutes. It was ridiculous, uh, the time of possession to start the game. Uh, for this team, and then the Gophers kind of got it in the second quarter, and then they started to kind of fight back. Um, so when you look at all of those issues, what happened? Ethan Kaliagmanis came in in the second half. So what did I, what do I expect? From, I expect him to start fast, the same way he started the second quarter, the third quarter, fourth quarter. I saw some big plays. I saw him throw uh, a third down and eight. Defense didn't give him a favorable look. Took the same exact look, pumped it, threw it deep to Daniel Jackson the very next time he's on the field because it went from third down to first down for that play to happen. So third down, punt, got the ball back, threw that ball deep. And so uh, that's, that's what I'll say with uh, Ethan Kalik Manis. You got to start fast and you got to understand what this defense is trying to do to you because Pat Fitzgerald's defenses, they're nasty. They're nasty and they can really get you. Well, of course, this is the part of the show I love. And, and I got a brain teaser for you guys. Uh, this one, we're going to go around, uh, see what you guys think. So when you look at the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl, everybody's talking about Kirk Cousins and quarterbacks win Super Bowls. But the passing leader, the passing leader has never really won the Super Bowl in the last 16, 17 years. But in the last... You know, since 2001, I guess we'll say, to now, that's 21 years almost. Do you remember what year the Vikings were the passing leader? They led the league in passing at some point in that 21-year span. Passing you know yards, year Ron? Passing yards. 2009 with Favre? Um, 2004 with Dante. Yeah, I was going to say, oh, 102 with Dante? What you got, uh, Reggie? What year did it? Are you starting with? I'm going from 2001. Uh, 02. Okay. So the right. winner, who said 2004? Oh, that was me. Yeah, 2004. I knew the it was one of those led, two. Wow. Led the league in passing 
and 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 like so the Super Bowl. So this is the thing for Vikings fans. There's a reason why I brought this stat up. Everybody keeps talking about quarterbacks and you know quarterbacks win, quarterbacks this, quarterbacks that, but it doesn't really matter. Like the quarterback, technically, yes, he's a big part of this, but if he doesn't get it done, who cares? Like, it's not about the quarterback leading the league and passing. He doesn't have to light it up to win a Super Bowl. So that's the good news. Here's another one for you, though. So you brought up 2009, Sam. Can you name the team? It wasn't the Vikings. It wasn't Brett Favre. It wasn't the Packers. I'll, I'll give you this. It wasn't anybody in the NFC North. I'll even help you guys out. It wasn't anybody in the NFC. Who was the passing leader in 2009? Was it Patriots? Colts. Peyton Manning. Colts? Nope. Would be my nope. guess. What you got, Sam? Hmm. Uh, the Jets were good, but I don't think it was Sanchez. <laughs> Big Ben. Sanchez. The Steelers. This is hard. This is hard to like put yourself back and try to remember who the Jay Cutler? Was it Jay Cutler? You no, he was with off. the Bears. I don't know. Here, I'll tell you. This is like I couldn't believe it when I did this. The Texans. <laughs> oh, what? The Saints Rosenfels? What? One of them. I don't know who the quarterback was. I didn't Matt go that Shaw? far. I just like the the Texans led the league in passing in 2009. Big and what? We didn't even think about them being a Super Bowl contender. So it's not always about that. And here's another stat, just to throw it out there before we get out of here. Uh one, two, three, four, five teams have lost the Super Bowl, but led the league in passing. The Chiefs, the Patriots. The Broncos, the Patriots, and the Raiders, my rookie year in the NFL. All those teams led the league in passing, and they lost the Super Bowl. So in the last 21 years, the legal age to drink of the NFL since 2001, <laughs> no team has won the Super Bowl that led the league in passing. No team. So it wow, doesn't wow. matter, people. For everybody wow. that thinks you need to lead the league in passing to win the Super Bowl, false. You do not. Because mm. in 21 years, it has not happened. Now, have you gotten to the Super Bowl? Yes. We had the Raiders get there. The Patriots got there. The Broncos got there. The Patriots got there. And the Chiefs. But you know what? They all lost. Here's another ironic one before we get out of here. A lot of those teams led the league in passing the year before. And then the next year won the Super Bowl. And they didn't. So maybe they figured it out. Maybe they led the league in passing. It was like, you know what? This is not the way to win. We got to mm -hmm. lose the passing game. Let's run a little bit more, control the clock, and let's go out here and win a Super Bowl. And Here's the moral that I – so, so quick Bowl. twitch, because I just looked at this this morning. Quick twitch, what I looked at, it's all about where the ball bounces because the Giants – so this is the one year it almost happened. The Patriots led the league in passing in 2007 with Randy Moss. We remember that. It almost happened that year if not for the Giants. And we know what happened in those years with Eli Manning versus Tom Brady. So that's another part of this. It's like, it does not matter sometimes. Like the Chiefs lost to the Bucks. We know what happened there. The Patriots lost to the Eagles. So it's about the ball bouncing. It's about getting the opportunistic play. Seven and one Minnesota Vikings are winning games, ironically, sometimes. Oh, I can't believe they won that game. They won. The Giants. I can't believe the Giants Super Bowl champions. They're champions. Who gives a crap about the helmet catch? Oh, if he had to caught the ball on his helmet, they wouldn't be champions. So what? So freaking what? My dad used to always tell me this. When they played the, 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 the Houston Oilers, and I think it was Billy White, Hughes Johnson, or whoever, the play was on my dad, right corner of the end zone. My dad, one-on-one -on -one with the Houston Oilers receiver. You can go back and watch the video and watch the take. Catches the ball, 
the refs go to the monitor, but they don't have a monitor back then. This is what the funny thing was. Everybody assumed they were going to some kind of monitor. There was no monitor back in the 70s. They went to the phone lines. They called the cops, and they said, if we say this dude for the Oilers caught the ball, how many cops can you get down here to get our, our guys out? Like, how, how many cops can you help get our refs out of the stadium if we decide to say that this dude what? caught the ball in the corner of the end zone? And they told him how many, and the refs came wow. back and said, out of bounds. Just watch it. It's a long, delayed play where they come back and they say wow. he's out. Steelers go on later and win the Super Bowl. Uh, but they beat the Houston Oilers in the, in the I think it was AFC Championship game. And my dad was the DB covering the guy. And every time I brought that play up, my dad would just show me the ring and say, you know what? I got the ring. So who cares if he caught the ball or not? So that's what I, I leave you fans with. Who cares how they win these games? Who cares if Kirk Cousins is barely winning? Who cares if he's not the number one quarterback in the NFL this year? Who cares if Dalvin Cook's not the number one running back? Justin Jefferson, one of the top receivers. But statistically, who cares? It's all about what happens at the end. And that's what we're looking forward to. Eight games in, nine games to go. Vikings still can get it done, people. It does not matter. Stats don't lie. Men lie, women lie. Numbers don't. But that'll do it for the Minnesota, for the Locked On Sports Minnesota Roundtable. I'm Ron Johnson. That's Sam Ekstrom. That's Reggie Mitchell or Reggie Wilson. Reggie Mitchell was the guy that recruited me to the Gophers. <laughs> <laughs> that's Reggie Wilson. And that's Luke Inman, the most interesting man in the pod. I want to thank you. Have a great day.